<laughs> yeah so okay kind of yeah. uh the segue well we're talking a little bit about form and efficiency and that's kind of led us to the topic of overthinking things yeah yeah i think you know my kind of frame of mind over the weekend having you know we've run these trails in telluride a lot and they're really demanding um they're probably as tough as trail running trails get uh a lot of while still being trail and still being running Right. It's like, actually really right steep. at the limit of what you're not really supposed to use a rope for. Yeah, there's definitely some, we found, we encountered some very slick, it's slippery and slidey, uh, basically no grip descending, uh, pretty scary. Um, some really fun steep trail aspects of the course with a lot of like uh, scree and whatnot kind of mm -hmm. uh, distributed unevenly <laughs> throughout the trail to make sure that your footing is always uh, it's very at, dynamic yeah yeah and you know ah shoot I forgot to I took a video of us running and I forgot to post it um, but that kind of shows some of the terrain and it's really quite spectacular you know I think that um, it's kind of like the yeah, like the ultimate place that like after years and years of training, you take your running, you know, if you're into like mountain running, mm -hmm. you know, you work really hard for a long time to build up the skill set to run a race like that and to do it well. And something that I've been thinking about is how do you, you know, I've been mountain running for a long time. How do I continue to like refine my effort? But mm -hmm. how do you not overthink it? Mm. Um, and that can be tough, right? Because like, if you want to improve, and I, I know that everybody, you know, I'm not sure why you would hire a coach if your objective wasn't to improve. Um, so that was a topic that we actually mm -hmm. discussed quite a bit this weekend, you and I, um, because that kind of bewilders me a little bit. Um, but without diving too in, much into that, maybe that's a bit of a, a <laughs> side topic. Um, but how do you think about improving at something that you're already fairly good at, that you've already, a race you've already done and not overthink it, you know, not mm. dive too much into or the fine details. Right. Performances or like yeah. obsess over like where I went wrong. Cause like, I know when we were out on the course, there's an exact moment you were like, this is where I lost the podium. And I thought that was a really interesting thought because technically I would argue you lost the podium 100 times before that. Not maybe, to sound like maybe, me, but right. like every decision, the way I look at it is that every decision counts and no one decision counts all that much, you mm -hmm. know? So like you do want to think about everything, but you don't want to overthink any one thing. And I think- Would you consider the, the thought of thinking about every single decision that you've made over the course of a previous race to be overthinking a little bit yeah. rather than maybe trying to uh, find one focal point where like, yeah. here's where, you know, yeah, no, Here's I think you should kind of went wrong. I think you should treat your improve. running kind of like approach it like a scientist and target, you know, if you do, you know, let's say you have one long run and it's just horrible, like your stomach hurts, you have a headache, you're nauseous, you're tired, your legs hurt. The wrong thing to do is to change everything for your next long run. What you should <laughs> yeah. do is like through a process of elimination, be like, okay, maybe if I target my nutrition strategy and then, you know, fix that and then be like, okay, I'm also going to target my recovery the next time and approach your recovery with more intention. I'm going to target my strength training the week leading up to that with a little bit more intention. But I think, you know, totally reinventing the wheel every time something goes a little bit wrong is not a good strategy. Right. And I think we can go back to this idea about like form and efficiency. Like our big objective as runners is to become more efficient. If you want to do better in races and improve, efficiency plays a huge uh, part in that. You know, the more efficient you are, the less oxygen you use to go a given pace and the more reserves you have for later in the race. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I think of efficiency, I think of a relaxed state, both mentally and physically. If every time you go out on a run, you're like, you know, you're trying to, you're consciously activating your glutes and you're just out there thinking with every step, step like activate, activate, activate. You're going to fry your brain. Like you're not going to be able to train and run in a way that's healthful and sustainable because you'll just be like over gripping. Like there's this concept in climbing of like over gripping. So whenever you're new or you're like insecure at climbing or you're maybe on something a little above your level, 
climbers will tend to hold too tightly to the hold and that's actually what ends up being their downfall right so i think of like overthinking as just being like you're over gripping on something you're you're passing the point at which thinking about it becomes counterproductive from productive to counterproductive yeah so like a more natural way and i think a way that you know we hopefully try to reiterate to you guys to think about these things is think about being you know like smooth mm -hmm. have a smooth stride um you know if you're forcing your intervals if you're forcing the speed out of your body um and running hard you know I, when i think about forcing i think about running hard mm -hmm. um you're not probably accessing like maybe your best biomechanics yeah because uh, that's like a really forced and contrived motion so you know you want to have like a nice relaxed face no yeah. like gritting of teeth no straining of neck muscles yeah and i think you know it's just really interesting in maybe in the context of of this trip and our running that we did this weekend is that you know in the not really related to this question but very but yes related to this question is that like you know how do you, how can you improve and one of the ways you can really improve in these races and running and technical terrain is the idea of being relaxed and being smooth and that is one of the things that i kind of identified for myself as like a main objective for me for this race and I think you could call that like a process oriented goal mm -hmm. It's like to maintain smoothness and a relaxed feeling, even in the most technical and demanding parts of the course, because in retrospect, I felt I wasted a lot of energy trying to run faster in places where the terrain was pretty limited, limited that. And so there was over energy expenditure, mm -hmm. which made it harder for me to perform as well later in the race. And so, you know, that in a matter of speaking, like is kind of an efficiency thing. Um, it's in an application kind of, of, of your running. So, you know, if you're thinking about your form, if you're thinking about making improvements, you know, the first area to really think about, you know, is, yeah, do I feel smooth out here, especially on your easy runs? Do your easy runs, do they feel, you know, nice and light? Do your strides feel pretty quick? You know, if you're having issues with those things, um, you know, often, you know, some some butt kicks, high knees, maybe some skipping um, are helpful. I would definitely say, a, you know, a lot of people, you know, you can really reduce the amount of mental energy you have to spend activating things or engaging things if you just do a sufficient warm up and teach your body to engage those things on its own. Like yeah. a warm up isn't, you know, that that's a pretty integral part of the run. You can take three, four or five minutes just make sure everything is firing the correct way, whether it's with, you know, resistance bands, leg swings, you know, a lunge matrix, like going right into a run. It's not going to be surprising to me if an athlete feels like they're struggling or their form isn't that great if they haven't taken the time to like wake up those neuro pathways that we'll be using in the run. Yeah. You know, another thing that we were working on this weekend, you know, I, I was using my poles um, because I prefer poles for steeper races and yeah, I'd say 14,000 feet of climbing and 40 miles would be considered a pretty steep race. Um, and you weren't using poles. And at this stage in training, two weeks out, our A race for the year, for the summer, um, you know, we're definitely thinking about like those race specific adaptations. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, for you, that's going to be power hiking without poles. And for me, that's going to be power hiking with poles. Um, and so I think that it's really interesting, you know, to consider some of the efficiency differences and how like individual it can be, whether you want to use poles or not, but the concept is still the same, right? Like right. you really want to be feeling fluid on those climbs. You don't want to be feeling like you're forcing, especially um, when the terrain gets steeper, because that's when you really need to have that extra energy. Um, so I'm just, I don't know, Zoe, I'm just curious why, why you've decided uh, to like go without poles. Yeah. You know, when I've used poles in previous races, I honestly felt like at the end I was using them more like crutches than as like a tool of empowerment. It was like I was leaning on them rather than being powered by them. And I want to avoid that. Um, mentally I suffer when I feel disempowered. So I need to not put tools in my quiver that could also lead to that place. 
Also, I don't have, I, you grew up skiing. I did not. So you are kind of starting from a baseline of having a better understanding of the tool than I do. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I am a pretty butt centric athlete. Like I've got a pretty strong, like motor in the back. And I find that I'm not able to use it as effectively when I have poles. Poles put me too upright and I put too much pressure in my calves. And I just don't feel that strong or powerful when I use poles. I feel pretty clumsy. And, you know, I, I just wanted to go into this race, like not questioning my decision and just feeling like, yeah, like, you know, do it in a way that feels authentic to you, that makes you feel powerful, that makes you feel like, I feel kind of like a little kid who has no idea what they're doing when they use, when I use poles. Um, mm -hmm. And I want to like go into this race, like knowing exactly what I'm doing, what tools I'm using. Um, and also I eat a lot during races. I'm a pretty high carb intake athlete. And if I'm not able to eat exactly when I want to eat, cause I'm holding poles that kind of throws me off my game. So it was like a myriad of factors, but it essentially came down to, I just felt better without the poles. And I practiced, like I did, you know, I did a route that I had done with poles or without poles. And I did it with poles and I was significantly slower, even though I felt like my output was higher which is your output is higher with the poles yeah that's pretty normal actually i would say uh, but that's like not what i'm looking for a lot with more your aerobic system yeah it's whether or not with the greater input you're also getting a lot more out yeah um so that's kind and of like the, the truth like i feel pretty strong power hiking and i don't want to take away from that that strength and you know it's just kind of like you have to use the tools and adopt the form that works for you and not, you know, the tools or the form that works for someone else or like some guy on the internet. Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, it's all about getting out there, having tried both things multiple times. Yeah. I just didn't feel like right, you know, yeah. and then, yeah. yeah. You used poles at the hundred K two years ago. Correct. Yeah. Yep. I remember that. And I think you were, leaning pretty heavily on them towards the end of the race. It's not great when you're using poles <laughs> to run on a flat surface. <laughs> like, didn't love that. Didn't feel good. Didn't feel powerful. Uh, didn't yeah. feel strong. There, that I think that, you know, there's always that fine line with the poles where it's like, these could be slowing me down a little bit because it's like easy to, to hike comfortably. Yeah. Um, so if you're really trying to push yourself, sometimes putting the poles, you know, back in the pack, um, can help facilitate more running. Yeah. Um, you know, something that I definitely noticed over the weekend is like, you know, the, I use poles at the race before and, and I'm very comfortable with poles um, and I can move, I can move better with them um, as a result of using some upper body. But there are, you know, points in the race where like I ideally hope to feel good enough to be able to put the poles away, mm -hmm. um, which the first time I ran the race, you know, I was relying heavily on the poles late in the race and that although it was a good kind of crutch in the situation i think you know when you're feeling better you're stronger you move much quicker with those put away especially when the train's gradual yeah um so yeah i mean there's always kind of the it just kind of goes back to like what feels natural and kind of where we started this call out but like if you're thinking about making changes oh, I, I want to use poles at this upcoming race. Well, you've got to practice them quite a bit to get efficient with them. I think it takes, you know, a few long runs and maybe, you know, a few really focused sessions. So maybe like six to eight sessions overall mm -hmm. and you can start yeah, to- Yeah, for a lot of my, um, for my advanced or like higher, like more advanced athletes training for steeper, longer races, we'll do a specific uphill boot camp and I'll cue them. Like if you're going to, if you plan on using poles for this race, like I want you to do these, like it's basically power hiking intervals where we specifically target power hiking, which is one of the only times when I actually like instruct athletes to power hike. And that's kind of really only something I use if someone's doing like a very steep 50 plus mile race, mm -hmm. just because mm -hmm. like usually you get sufficient power hiking training in the context of like normal running, normal trail running. Um, but I'll have them do intervals with the poles to really dial that form in. Yeah, which is really vital, actually, because I think that it's fairly common for athletes who have not done any uphill work when they get on in a steeper race. They have a lot of trouble maintaining their breath rate and their perceived effort when they're going uphill, even when they're hiking. Um, and that's simply because of a, a lack of building the neuropathways necessary for 
uh, moving efficiently up the hill. Um, and it doesn't take a lot of like repetitions of this to get good, um, to get good at it because everybody here is training. So you're fairly fit already. Um, and the idea is kind of using that fitness in that specific race, in that race specific context. Um, so often, you know, like the, the, the boot camp, you know, that usually a hundred K and hundred mile athletes get who have a significant amount of climbing in those races, you know, 20,000 feet or more, basically it's kind of where I start to draw the line for my athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, but that uphill boot camp can be very, very helpful, even though it's power hiking, um, to like really feel the upper limits of what like an uphill effort feels like for you. Like how can, how much can I push this power hiking? Mm. How hard can I breathe and how kind of fast can I go with it? Um, and then, you know, what is that easy effort power hiking feel like on those recoveries when I fall back into that more of an uphill kind of walk or recovery on, um, you know, that time at the higher intensity really starts to make that easy to easy, moderate power hike feel a lot more achievable and also to feel more sustainable mm -hmm. um, because the idea isn't to like give up time on the uphills, like the uphill shouldn't feel like a break. Um, if you're, if you've yeah. done your homework and you feel efficient, um, you should, you know, I mean, the, again, your effort an opportunity when you hike consistent. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, I see a lot of athletes either like, they'll be like, oh, well, I have to walk now. So it's a break. It's not a break. It's power hiking. It should feel and be powerful. Or they'll be like, oh, um, you know, it feels too easy to power hike. So I'll just like sprint up this and immediately like go lactic. And it's pretty hard to come back from that during a race. If you hit a hill too hard. <laughs> it's better to maintain a consistent effort, I would say, especially in a race context save plenty for the end of the race all yeah. of the, especially the longer races everything happens in like the last 25 miles yeah uh, especially for 100 yeah or you know 40 miles on really 40 45 miles on for uh, 100k yeah yeah um i hope some of that made sense to you guys i didn't really see any comments here about efficiency or anything like that but again you know smooth is fast and smooth is efficient like that is the the like the first place to start with any of this stuff whether it's moving uphill running your strides running on flats running your easy pace everything needs to feel smooth on um, that should be you know your primary focus um and i think every year the more i think about it the more important i think that is even more so than your output levels you know like how fast you can go on your one minute strides is great but how fast can you go and feel smooth and mm -hmm. effortless mm -hmm. um that is much more important because smooth speed is sustainable speed forced speed is not sustainable yeah um eventually you get tired um so everything's smooth and that's like the big topic for me um in my own training over the last week um doing a huge huge week of training everything the focus was on smooth the whole time um, and into the weekend. And that, you know, I think that definitely, uh, allowed me to like, not have any issues recovering or anything like that, because there was no, there's no hard running. There was no forcing. Um, and so you give your body quite a bit of a break when you run, um, with that kind of intention. Yeah. Um, there is a question here about running at night, um, from Rachel. She's got a hundred miler coming up very soon. Um, she calls it surviving the night. Um, yeah, Zoe, I don't know. You've run a lot in the evenings. What do you? Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of like a dual light setup. So I kind of like headlamp and a waist lamp um, just because like, I don't know, sometimes I get the heebie-jeebies and I'll be like looking around with my light and that can like kind of play tricks with your brain and can't, this can, can be weird. So two lights is really nice, especially having that one on your waist a little bit um, closer to foot level. It also tends to bounce a bit less and can like minimize some of the like weird, for some people like that amount of light motion can be triggering for things, especially if you're tired and not feeling so good. So two lights. Um, and then, yeah, honestly, like don't overthink it running in the dark is just like running in the light but darker and you don't need to like you know tell yourself a story that it's going to be significantly harder or scarier or different because that will just become a self-fulfilling prophecy 
I will say that like during longer races, emotions can be more challenging to manage in the dark. And so it just comes down to like, you know, if you have a pacer or crew with you, just like leaning on them for uplift and, um, you know, just like not letting the fact that time and space are going to feel kind of different in the dark, um, get you down either. Um, yeah. I feel like there's a bit of a tunnel vision effect with the headlamp. You know, you have only light on such a narrow part of the trail. You're very isolated. Mm. Um, I kind of like that. Like for me, like when I'm like what's directly yeah. in front of you. I like that level of focus. Like for me, that works pretty well. Although I always get this thing like during longer races where I'll start to everything looks like snakes to me. And that freaks me out. Even <laughs> like I could be running at 10,000 feet where there's like definitely no snakes. And I'm like, oh, my God, this trail is covered in snakes. Yeah, I think it really like a, a kind of the key to getting through the night is is utilizing the pacer, mm -hmm. um, you know, having that conversation um, or just having somebody who maybe you can follow um, to kind of like help you maintain your effort. It's very common that people slow down at Do night. Do not allow your calorie intake to dip. Yeah, in the it's night. very common too that it gets colder. So it becomes a little bit more challenging to eat. Um, you know, especially later in a hundred, if, uh, yeah, like if, and if the weather is a little challenging as well, um, I would recommend some warmer clothes, gloves, uh, arm sleeves, stuff like that. Uh, maybe a light jacket mm -hmm. just in case, because later in a race, you're going through the night, it's harder to maintain that core temperature, especially if you're stopping for longer periods of time at aid stations and whatnot um trying to get down food and all of that it can be really easy to get cold and very hard to warm back up yeah i would do like one or two runs in the dark leading up to a 100 you know definitely don't overemphasize it like I, you know i've seen athletes be like well i want to do hope pass at midnight just to practice and i'm like okay if you're still on hope pass at midnight you're screwed you're so screwed you dnf'd hours ago if that's the case like you don't need to get hyper specific to the detriment of quality training so that's kind of another thing of like overthinking leads to people focusing on specificity whereas generality would be a lot more beneficial to their progress and short-term success yeah i i you know i don't really have athletes do like an overnight run or no. anything like that i don't really feel like that's important in fact i think that you'd end up sacrificing too much of your sleep routine which getting close to 100 it's much more important to feel rested and not overtrain going into the event um so i really try to default to what the athletes are feeling at in those times you know if they're feeling like you know, maybe a little extra fatigue or tired, I tend to have them back off of uh, long runs and workouts just a little bit, um, because I would much rather the athlete be fresh on race day than even be a little bit tired. Um, you know, it's kind of the goal of like the taper period is to maintain the work that you've done. Um, so if you're two or four weeks out from an event, like you can start to loosen your grip on the training a lot there is really nothing you can do to get better in the two weeks leading up to a race you can only screw yourself up you will get no none better just focus on sleeping and eating and not screwing yourself up well yeah like, but no, I, you I can't make adaptations in that time frame you you can make race specific adaptations i think and i think also you can become more confident in your training yes. if things are feeling but good like, during no that time meaningful too. physical adaptation like you're not building at anymore you're just maintaining what you have and focusing in on what you're going to use i i disagree to some extent but i think the basis for your comments are true um i think that you know getting down close to an event like doing a little bit more climbing if you've got a bigger uh, a lot more climbing in your course or being on technical trails the weekend before you know is going to make you feel comfortable and have better footwork sure 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 like, there but you are can't, small like, things you can't cramp like you're not you're you know your economy's not going to get better your vo2 max like lactate threshold like no there's going to be no perceptible training improvement and i actually worry about people doing a lot of vert in the couple weeks leading up to their race because if you do too much descending you could incur more muscle damage than is productive yes depending on the length of the race the length of the training runs you know obviously 
many of our athletes are spending at least 12 weeks preparing for these events. So I'm not that concerned with, you know, a 12 or 13 mile long run and, and on vertical, you know, trails the weekend before. I think an athlete at that point is well adapted. Um, you know, having them hold back from maybe a little bit of a long run right before, I think could make them feel maybe slightly too comfortable and forget, you know, you do have to spend some time out there and you want to know what that feels like. Um, but yeah, again, like going back to like the idea of running at night, the way that I like to have athletes do this is do one run that is later on in the afternoon and kind of ends with an hour of running in the dark. That way you get a feel for what it's like and it doesn't impede on your sleep. The other way to do that is the reverse where you just get up an hour earlier and you start that long run. First hour is in the dark. Sometimes that's more, that's like my perf, personally, my preferred method. Cause I like to see the sunrise. I think that's like kind of fun and rejuvenating, uh, especially if you're up on a mountain side or whatever, it can be like a pretty powerful and special moment. Um, but you have to figure out what works best for your schedule. Um, I have had, I have athlete who's running 200 miler right now. She likes to do these overnight things where, uh, sometimes she feels like sleep deprived and whatnot. I don't recommend that. Those are personal choices. Um, you know, the, it's pretty different if you are like really training to be competitive at a 200 miler. Like that's a pretty specific event that requires some specific adaptations. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like in a sleep plan, but if you're running something shorter than a 200, do not have a sleep plan. Your plan is to not sleep. Yeah. It'd be better just to keep moving. No sleeping. Yeah. Even if you're power hiking along, walking along, just yeah. trying to eat and get your calories in, just keep it moving forward. That's yeah. really the ultimate goal. Yeah. Yeah. Beware. Can I, can I chime in real quick? I really like the idea of, uh, running, in the afternoon into the dark or starting early in the morning when it's dark and running into the morning when the sun's coming up. Um, myself and a few others I know kind of have issues when the sun is either ascending or descending where the light isn't all there yet and it can kind of throw off depth perception and maybe sometimes make you nauseous. And so I think preparing for like an overnight run uh, where you're going to be running into the night anyway, and maybe into the next morning, that it is good to practice those times of day so you know how your body's going to react. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think there can be metabolic um, gains to be made there as well, because as we know, some people eat, are better at eating in the mornings and some people are better late at night. Some people just operate better in the morning and some people just operate better at night. Um, so getting kind of comfortable with how you're going to react in those situations. Yeah, I think that that's, there's definitely a place for that. Again, you know, we might be entering that gray area of overthinking a little bit, um, especially if it's your first hundred, you know, refining your efforts and, you know, over time, you know, it's my second hundred, where can I improve? All right. Like I struggle here in these moments, you know, maybe I should practice that once or twice. So I get more comfortable leading up to my next hundred, or I had trouble in this kind of terrain. So I need to make sure that I get a couple, you know, solid long runs in, you know, in this kind of terrain. So I'm better able to move through that. I don't waste so much time. Like I did at that previous race, you know, refining things is great. Um, but the, I think for most, you know, to, and I, your point is great, Drew, and it's important to cover all the bases as much as you can. But for most people, you know, working a at 40 hour work week uh, and trying to get in 10 hours of training a week, which is probably about where you need to be really to, to run 100, you know, you're somewhere between eight to 12 hours a week, depending on exactly where you are in the build. Um, you know, and, and Rachel, you know, she's she's done all that, but she's also working like a huge job. So it's like it's tough to to hit every base. So you want to definitely make sure that you're hitting the big percentages, right? Like you're mm -hmm. getting your long runs and they feel good. Your nutrition plan is on point. You know what you're going to eat. Like to me, those things are, are huge. And then if you've got extra time, you can start picking off like those smaller bits, like, all right, I want to do like an hour at night to see how that feels. And I'll do an hour in the morning, see how that feels. Um, or like, I'll get really comfortable and go recon the course. Um, you know, we have athletes who like to do that, but like, so that's not always achievable for everybody. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I think, you know, don't get lost in all the small percentages. You can, you can always, and it's always our goal. Like you, so many people sign up because they want to run their first hundred and they want to, they work with me or Zoe or Kristen or Drew or Kylie to do their first hundred. And it's always our goal that you do more than 100, that you do more than one race, because it's not about, you know, this first goal, it's about, you know, where you can go after that and how you can continue to move through life and the training process and get better at all these things and improve over time. Um, and through that, you have the opportunity, you know, I consider it more of a path towards mastery over your craft. You know, ultra running is this amazing craft. It's a vehicle that we all get to use for self-expression, the things that we love most about being outside and whatnot and a reflection of our values. And we can continue to refine all that we do over time if we give ourselves that chance and that opportunity. Um, and believe me, the more often you engage with this stuff and the longer you engage with it, the more it gives back. Um, so like that first big race that you're working towards or that first hundred miler, you know, I'm still looking forward to my first hundred miler <laughs> and like all of that stuff. It's just like over time. Uh, you get better at it. And then you start to pick off those small pieces. Like you learn like Drew, like Drew, oh, I get a little nauseous, like when I'm running kind of when the light is low and it makes me feel uncomfortable. So like, I really have to make sure like before my next race, like I'm comfortable with that because I know that's a limiter and that's a product of, ex of experience and, you know, being a, a wise coach or whatever, um, that he knows that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And so much of this is just built on, on experience, I think. And, and, you know, I like to, to go back to like, don't overthink it too much. Like always trust the foundation of all that you're doing, which is like getting, you know, five runs in the majority of your weeks, putting the time in. Um, and then just don't be afraid to freaking go for it on race day. Yeah. And I think a lot of overthinking comes from a place where people feel like they don't have control over things. Like they don't have control exactly over where their fitness is, how fast they are, how strong they are, because those are like really big macro things that take a long time. It takes a long time to meaningfully improve fitness. It takes a long time to meaningfully build speed or build strength. And so because they feel like those dials aren't as movable as they might like in the moment, they tend to over-focus on things like, oh, well, you know, like I read online that getting these shoes and then altering the lugs is like really the key to going faster. Like I read that if you alternate a high fat and then a high carbohydrate gel, like that's where it's at. And so people tend to gravitate towards these really weird, bizarre, like kind of like inconsequential things because they can control, they feel like they can exacerbate control over it. Whereas, you know, I don't know. It tends to lead to overemphasis on things that don't matter that people feel like they can control when your time and energy would be better spent really slowly manifesting control over the, the big things. Yeah, it's so true. We did that call. I think it's called like the big percentages talk. Yeah. We did that during the pandemic and it kind of breaks down, you know, like what are the big focuses that you should kind of be looking at like week to week? Cause like we would get people that were like obsessively tracking their cadence, but weren't making an effort to run five times a week. And like, here's the thing over focusing on your cadence when you're not even getting in the like prescribed amount of training is not that helpful. Yeah. That's a funny example, but that's definitely one that, um, yeah, that we, we probably, I've definitely seen that as a coach. I it's kind of makes me chuckle a little bit because it's, seems so utterly ridiculous to grasp onto that one thing when you're missing the big, like the, the big, big, the big point, thing. but yeah. we've had so many athletes who have to work through that. And I think that is kind of like part of the journey though. And, 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 you know, as coaches, you know, we're here to kind of guide you back onto the right path. Like don't overthink, you know, you know, exactly, you know, what was the breakdown exactly of the, meltodextrin to fructose content of like all the food that you ate during your, your last long run, or like, was it 177, you know, strides yeah. per minute, or was it like 179 or one eight? Like it's people do. And I think it's be, you're, for the reasons that you mentioned tend to grasp onto those, like such those fine details. Um, and the fact of the matter is, if you're willing to run five days a week and stick to a schedule 
for a year, two years, three years, you're going to be a fundamentally different athlete, completely different than you ever thought. And all you had to do was show up and do the work. You didn't have yeah. to think about a single You didn't have to get thing. a professional gait analysis. You didn't have to get custom orthotics. You didn't have to get like a custom fuel plan. You didn't have to, you know, join like a boutique gym and get your own strength training program. You just like do what's pretty good for you most of the time. And then don't stress about it. What's that? We, you know, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. And like in this context, good is really just showing up. Um, yeah, but for like a long time. Right. It does, you know, a month is great, but then let's add another but like month. Three years, another really month. <laughs> three years is three years. Three years is pretty ideal. It's hard to get everybody to want to commit to that kind of timeline. But I think that if you are engaged in the present moment, it almost just unfolds and you're still kind of, you know, there uh letting running be that vehicle of expression and seeing where it takes you and all the fun events that you get to go. And I know for all of us like 2020 was a complete wash right so like we barely got a lot of like community time in and like, it was all about like at least for us it was mostly about like training and uh microcosm and you know we did a few races that we were lucky to get into um but it was like there was like no community aspect to those events and it was felt very individualistic but when you start to like take a step back and take it, uh, advantage of kind of the opportunities that are existing out there now, you can really start to like re-engage. Um, I think in the overall picture of what this stuff is all about, which is like the races are amazing. It's one part of this, like the training is, an, is the foundation, but it's not all that there is. Um, you know, there's, you know, volunteering, which we talked about, and I've seen a lot of athletes start stepping up and doing um, with their local running groups, you know, there's also like just like hanging out at these events or going to events to spectate, which we've had many athletes do. And we met a lot of our athletes at Hard Rock who are out there spectating or have met at our athletes at various other races that we've been at this summer. Um, and just like that, you know, all of that together kind of creates a fuller picture, um, I think, which like allows you to be have more longevity in this and, and to look beyond like, yes, one race is great. Uh, we're training super hard for, you know, Telluride Mountain Run. And I'm putting I put a lot of my summer emphasis into doing well at that race. But given the day, the circumstances, the environment, who the heck knows if I'm going to have my ultimate race or not, if it's going to go out perfectly. Um, the it really doesn't matter if it does really like all that matters is, is that like you go out there, you do your best, you try, you see, you know, it goes the way that it goes. And then you mount the response based on how that event goes. And uh, if it goes great, you maybe you celebrate that for a while and, and then you, you know, maybe go on to some other training. If it doesn't so go so great. Maybe you think about some things that you can improve on, but you don't linger on it for too long. You get ready to get back up and swing for the fences, some other, you know, some other opportunity down the road. Um, you know, maybe it goes in between, you get a little bit of both. Uh, you, you get left with some dissatisfaction or whatever that, helps you to motivate to get back into the training. I don't know. There's a million ways to, to kind of look at this stuff. Um, but again, I think if you're, if you're too overthinking that one race, if you're too overthinking I that would, training, I would also caution to, to grasp some of these yeah, things against the writing of Moby Dick length race reports, because I feel like that is a genre that lends itself towards promoting mental habits that are not very productive for athletes. Yeah, expand on that a little bit more. I have never once written a race report. Why? Because, you know, I think the best lessons are the ones that are learned. Like anything that you want to learn and internalize. Well, actually, it doesn't really matter what you learn unless you are able to immediately systematize it, right? Like if you go and you totally F up your nutrition and you write your coach a 600 word thing about how you F up your nutrition and then you fail to like, don't even, I don't even care like what you, F, I mean, I kind of care, but like you telling me that is so much less important than you spending that time and energy creating an action plan for it. And I think so often people dwell on the past and overanalyze the past because they don't feel like they know what concrete steps they need to take into the future and say like, okay, this works, this didn't work. Here's what I'm going to do different next time. Here's my action plan. So instead they write 
like, you know, a novel about what already happened rather than trying to, you know, create a game plan for what should happen next time. Yeah, I, and I wonder if Drew has a different opinion on this, but I personally, I, one, I'm not a fan of the, the lengthy Moby Dick <laughs> race report uh, in my own in my own training because I feel like it often um, it's not helpful for the to the coach to do a play by play of your race. Mm -hmm. I think it's um, and what I find most beneficial as a coach is is the athlete to tell me how the race went. I like to know here's where I felt prepared. Here's where I felt preparation could have been better. Here's where I overachieved. Here's where I left potential on the table. Here's what I'm going to do different next time. Because like it doesn't matter what you just did. You just did that. It's it happened. It's over. It only matters what you're going to be able to learn and make concrete changes about. I think your way of describing that though implies that the athlete has already gone through an internalization process in which they have made up their mind about all of those things. And what I kind of see in the training log is that athletes often are doing that in the process of reflecting on their race. And so yes, that information is only valid if you can use it to create an action plan to make improvements later. So races go, go off better and training, you know, there's an avenue for better training and whatnot. Um, or if the athlete is unsure about how to make improvements, um, you know, this is often a really great place or in the preceding days after the race to ask, you know, for the athlete to ask the coach, like, I really struggle with these things. Like, how are we going to improve on them? Um, what's the plan, you know, and this is something that I've done with my coach. I think it's, I've had athletes do it with me. Um, you know, I think it's, we all tend to maybe overwrite our race reports, um, especially earlier on in the process mm -hmm. when we're having trouble, uh, synthesizing the myriad of information that occurs during one of these events. I mean, think about hundred miles, it's basically a whole lifespan of challenges within 24 hours. I mean, it's just ridiculous. All the highs and the lows are out there for so long, the things you overcome, the people you meet, the things you screw up and the thing in the way that you respond to those things and all this stuff. Um, and I think that, you know, sometimes it, it is important for athletes to kind of go through that like reflective process uh, that introspective process of where they're trying to gather their thoughts and understandings. I kind of interpret a lot of race reports is that um, some are, are maybe a, a little bit more, um, yeah, colorful, but it, it always just depends. Um, I, I try to give the athlete the benefit of the doubt. You know, if you want to write me a thousand words on how your race went, that's great. That's a lot of reading that I have to do. I would just say that's you definitely don't need to do that to get better. No, I have literally never done that. And yet I have continued to move forward in my athletic career. But I, I think to be fair, you're going in because I know you well, I'll just say it. You're going through these processes in your own mind 24 seven, you have a very active brain. You're analyzing and overanalyzing what you do in the moment and directly after but I you've already come to the conclusion before you externalizing externalize. is a tertiary step that i don't find helpful for a lot of people it you know it depends on on, on the athletes i think some athletes it, it can be helpful i think other athletes and more independent athletes i would like to see if someone's going to write me a 1000 word email about how their race went a 1000 word email about what they're going to like actually change and do different you know, we obviously you know? we both receive those emails, and yeah, I think as a coach, it can be hard to synthesize uh, and retain all of that information. But it's really the onus is on. This is an athlete-driven process, so the yes. onus is on the athlete to you know ask the right questions or ask some questions to start a conversation. Um, and at the I end of just, the day, hold on. At the end of the day you know, the coach can't put into action the steps for you. So I can tell you, try these different fueling strategies. Here are the times of the week where they're best during your workout, you know, during your long run, X, Y, and Z, let's try these things. It's up to you to do that. So 
you know, yes, the, oh, like this is an athlete driven process. The onus is on the athlete to do those things, but you know, and we've all seen and people sign up to work with coaches because it's hard to always be accountable to that. It's hard to change your mind and reverse steps that you've worked very hard to put into place before and habits that you've constructed over eight to 12 weeks of very specific training that ended up not working and starting from the beginning. All that stuff is really difficult and requires support from a coach, in my opinion. Um, and it can be daily accountability or, you know, you've described to me, you know, like the uh, like the fueling stuff that you do with your athletes where it's like, tell me everything you ate. I need to make sure you're getting enough calories and like really holding somebody accountable to that because when you start to get the suspicious thoughts that maybe they're under fueling or whatnot. And so there's like different kind of ways and methods to help move the athlete along when they've made a determination about kind of what went wrong and what needs to be improved upon. Does that, I hope that makes sense, but that's yes. kind of the way that I think about it. More reflection isn't always better reflection. Is I guess my final statement on it. <laughs> yeah, but like anything is more better, not never, necessarily always. You know, yeah, gravity and being yeah. concise can kind of be helpful. I think particularly, you know, one thing that I've noticed in my, as an athlete um, is, you know, I used to, to really like to write out more expressive race reports with my coach and they're not long, they're not a thousand words, but they're, you know, 10 sentences or whatever. And, and to really highlight kind of the highs and lows of the race, right? Like where I pushed, where, what highs I worked through, how I did it. Um, and I've noticed that being more concise with that is very, very important because when I use the, the training log correctly and I use that command F function to search all of my history in my training log or in my athletes logs, it's much easier to get back and look at that information and see what you did when you don't have to read through, you know, text that is this long and this wide and i have to i do this as my this is my full-time job i read stuff like that every single day and it is really hard to get through that to get to the point of the matter that really is what you need to capture and then talk to the athlete about or what you as the athlete need to reflect upon later on and be like yes that is what i did at telluride mountain run in 2019 it's right here one sentence about it yeah. to the point lack of brevity to me says lack of analysis and integration like when i was working on my master's thesis my advisor constantly told me if you if you're if you can't if you suddenly can't describe your thesis in a haiku you have a bad thesis and your idea has gotten too large and you no longer understand it so i i, I think would, an idea needs to be you need to be able to like you need to have your elevator pitch you need to have yeah. your haiku if you can't describe it succinctly you don't truly understand can it. we get coach drew on the final word on this because <laughs> drew is, is just such an experienced athlete and coach and i would just love to hear his opinion on this you guys are so funny i <laughs> i personally um think that race reports are are a personal thing um i think that there are two types of race reports there's something for yourself for for analysis to to maybe before you forget or some of those longer races there's just so much that went on that you write for yourself it's not for your coach it's not for you to share on facebook it's just for you to go through and analyze like what zoe is saying um, when it comes to writing a report for your coach obviously being concise is so important. We just need to know the, the ins and outs of what happened. Um, personally, I don't, I'm not, I don't have a ton of athletes. I, I keep my roster pretty low because I work a full-time job that's not coaching. Um, but I like having that conversation on the phone or through text. I don't, I don't want an email sent to me. Like I want it more personal. I want to be able to talk to you about like what happened, what didn't happen, how do we fix this? so that we can brainstorm together instead of someone having to do that analysis on their own. Uh, typically, you see a lot of race reports written when something went bad, um, and, and that's important. It really is, because that's when you know you would need it the most. Um, but I don't want anyone to feel like a race report is 
a necessary thing that you have to do like as part of running. Uh, like Zoe, I've never written a race report and I race a lot, um, shorter distances obviously, but um, it's it's completely unnecessary. Um, it, so I don't want anyone to feel like just because we're spending a lot of time talking about it, that it's something that you have to do. Um, just keep, keep dialogue with your coach, uh, keep open-minded about suggestions, uh, whether a race went well or didn't go well. Um, and just kind of, I don't know, it, it's a, it's a tool that can be useful, but it's also a tool that can be a total waste of both yours and your coach's time. Yeah, totally. I think finding kind of the balance between, between the two, um, obviously, yeah, really important. And, and also, you know, as a coach developing like a methodology or a way that you prefer to have that information conveyed to you, um, can be, can be really helpful for me personally. I like having written documentation. I don't, prefer calls. I don't prefer voice. I like to have it in the log so I can always refer back to it. Um, that for me, that history, having it there, uh, so, so important. Um, you know, but every coach, you know, has the autonomy to develop that, you know, relationship with the athlete and uh, uh, to develop a way of getting that information and having that conversation um, that way, you know, you get to the point where you make an action plan to go forward. And I think, you know, as you and Zoe, very independent athletes, um, you know, not needing to write race reports is great. I think also, you know, write a race report if you want. What a race report means to me is, again, you know, how the race went, how you felt, what you did when things got hard, uh, how your fueling went what things you think that maybe you should work on for the next time where things went right. Um, you know, start with those kind of, you know, asking yourself those kind of questions um, and, and, you know, expressing that in a, in a way that, um, yeah, makes most sense for you. If you're a more concise person, awesome. If that takes you a, a bunch more sentences, know that I will be reading it. Um, but I like that in the written form because then I can refer back to it. Um, and I think that helps me and, 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 and the athlete too. Yeah. To answer, uh, Annalise dropped in a smoke question, mitigation and protection during a race. I would say if it is safe to run, you should run. If it is unsafe to run, do not run. Don't, if you feel like you need to run in a mask or something, that means it's unsafe. Don't run. It's kind of my, yeah, I wouldn't race in AQI over 150. Yeah. I just don't think it's worth it it's not uh, in worth the it. race scenario. You're breathing so heavy. You're. You could be out there for a long yourself. time. You're going to be exposed to the smoke for a long time. Um, personally, for me, that's my that's my cap. Um, yeah. And I tend to be more sensitive. Race day, you take a little bit more liberty. I'll go up to that 150 mark, but I won't go over that. Yeah. Well, cool. I hope everybody found this uh, conversation worthwhile. And if you yeah. didn't, uh, we're always open to criticism. Send us a race report about. <laughs> Send us a race report about it. Um, yeah. If uh, if anything comes to mind, we, we don't have that many questions left in the questions library. So um, send us some more questions for this Friday if you can. Um, we're looking forward to, to seeing everybody. Um, yeah, and just as a heads up, we won't be doing a call next Friday. So two more calls coming up here and then a little bit of a break. Yay. Thanks, guys. Have a good night.